Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast, brought to you by Montag Manufacturing. I'm McCain Vogel, Associate Editor at Cover Crop Strategies. In this episode, I sat down with Ben West, Executive Director of Farmers for Soil Health, and Ryan Heinegger, a fourth-generation farmer and Executive Director of Conservation Technology Information Center, otherwise known as CTIC to chat about all the details of the Farmers for Soil Health program and what cover croppers need to know about. All right, so I'm here joined today by Ben West and Ryan Heinegger. Uh, Guys, if you want to just start out and introduce yourselves to our listeners, um, just give kind of your title and just a little bit about yourselves just to give our listeners a little bit of background information. That'd be great. Glad to be on the podcast. My name is Ryan Heinegger. I serve as the executive director for the Conservation Technology Information Center. We're a 42-year-old nonprofit uh, member-based uh, company that was uh, doing conservation agriculture, you know, way before it was in vogue, thanks to some real uh, thoughtful pioneers, including Mr. Frank Lesseter as uh, kind of one of our founding uh, members. I actually work remotely from our family farm in Southeast Iowa. Uh, we're a corn and soybean operation. So I uh, wear a you know professional sustainability hat uh, along with uh, being a fourth generation farmer. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm Ben West. I'm the executive director of Farmers for Soil Health. I'm a wildlife biologist by background. I spent uh, most of my career in higher education, kind of working in the nexus of conservation and agriculture. And uh, had an opportunity about a year ago to uh, uh, make a career change, Um, started a consulting practice, helping organizations uh, develop strategy and implement strategy, uh, raise money uh, and communicate better. And uh, one of the first opportunities I had was to work with Farmers for Soil Health. So I get to work with folks like Ryan and CTIC every day um, just to help coordinate the work of all of the partners and farmers for soil health and there are, are a bunch uh both at the national level and at the state level so my, my job is really to support folks like ryan and his team at ctic all right thanks guys and uh in a few minutes we're definitely going to get uh, a little deeper into the farmers for soil health program uh, but before we do i i always like starting off these podcasts with the the same question of kind of describe your, what I call ag origin story. So what are some of your earliest memories of agriculture um, and, and kind of what are, what are some of those early memories for you? Yeah, I'll take this one first. Um, you know, I grew up in a little community in middle Tennessee and about, I don't know, half a mile from where I grew up my whole life, the house I grew up in uh, was the Tennessee National Wildlife Refuge. It was a Fish and Wildlife Service refuge, but they used agriculture um, uh, to manage wildlife habitat and, and living in a small rural community, there was agriculture everywhere, but that place in particular, and that's where my kind of interest in agriculture and conservation originated. I spent a lot of time there, uh, as a kid and I was just fascinated with the fact that, you know, conservation and agriculture live side by side and, you know, the, the, the land management decisions they made there, uh, were both good for wildlife and good for farmers. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what I've spent my career on. For me, I'd maybe give it uh, kind of two, two examples. Uh, for me personally, um, of course, growing up uh, on the farm, have a lot of great memories helping my dad, uh, helping my grandfather, 
both, you know, traditionally walking beans, uh, something that, uh, you know, you don't see much of today. Also, one of my first jobs was actually detasseling, which as a 13, 14 year old, uh, that was real money. That was uh, a great experience. Still talk about that with uh, my high school friends today. Um, but then I'd fast forward, uh, you know, as I pursued my career off the farm, actually lived uh, out of state for about 15 years. And it was, uh, I would say, thanks to my son, who just, I think, was born with uh, farming in his DNA. And it somewhat reinvigorated uh, my interest, even though professionally I've worked in this space, but to actually come back to my roots, uh, to the farm. We were living in uh, Bismarck, North Dakota, uh, 800 miles uh, from the farm. And so in the fall or even during the summer, we'd randomly approach uh, farmers out combining or uh, planting and ask them to ride along. And of course, you know, a little boy, a little girl, uh, hard to say no to. And so we would just, uh, you know, get our tractor uh, fixed that way. But it really kind of re-sparked uh, my interest to come home and make sure that not only uh, did the fourth generation continue, but uh, that there was a, a runway for the fifth generation and beyond as well. All right, great. Those are awesome, awesome examples. Always cool to hear. Uh, everyone always has a little bit of a different different story of how they kind of got into the world of agriculture. So it's always, always cool to hear that. So why don't we uh, dive a little bit into the Farmers for Soil Health program now. If um, if either of you want to just give us a little bit of a brief overview and, and some of the overall goals of the program, um, let's hear about that. So Farmers for Soil Health originated uh, two, three years ago when three of the most significant national commodity organizations started talking about how they might work together more in sustainability. And those were the United Soybean Board, the National Corn Growers Association, and the National Pork Board. Um, those three commodity organizations individually were already doing a lot of sustainability work and were doing some work together, but they said, you know, we could really accelerate the impact of our work if we got even more aggressive about partnering and working together. So they signed an agreement that basically said they were gonna, you know, aggressively work on sustainability issues together. Obviously corn and soy dominates US row crop acreage and pigs eat a lot of those commodities. So those three together really are a, 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 a really significant player in American agriculture and have a lot of opportunity to advance sustainability. Uh, the first uh, project that originated from that collaboration was Farmers for Soil Health, um, a collaboration to try and help farmers adopt and refine the use of regenerative agricultural practices. Uh, we're beginning with cover crops, but we expect that that will grow into other practices in the future. Um, the first real initiative that Farmers for Soil Health is pursuing is uh, a program that was funded by one of the USDA Partnerships for Climate Smart Commodities grant program. Um, those three commodity organizations, along with a bunch of national partners, competed for one of those grants, was awarded one of the two largest grants awarded, $95 million, to advance cover crops uh, in 20 states. The, the foundation of what Farmers for Soil Health is going to be doing through this grant can be represented in kind of three buckets of work. Um, the first is technical assistance helping farmers understand both the agronomic and the economic um, uh, aspects of cover crops through on-the-ground technical assistance providers like CTIC and their counterparts in our 20 states. So we're rolling this program out 
in 20 states, uh, the Midwest, Upper South, and kind of Mid-Atlantic region. Uh, so technical assistance is one area. The other area is financial assistance. We'll be spending most of the money uh, in the program uh, providing farmers cost share to offset the financial risk of trying this new practice, cover crops. And then finally, the third is, um, is a sustainability marketplace where farmers who are growing uh, commodities with sustainable practices can list those commodities on an open, transparent platform and end users, uh, consumer packaged goods companies, biofuel companies, feed companies looking to acquire sustainably produced commodities can be connected directly to farmers in a very transparent and open way. Um, we know that both ends of that supply chain, farmers and end users, are really hungry for this like direct, transparent access. Farmers want to know who they're selling their sustainability credentials to, and end users want to know where those are coming from, what farms are coming from. But really, one of the secrets to Farmers for Soil Health is our network of on-the-ground technical assistance providers. We think that's one of our you know, secret weapons. Uh, by leveraging the capabilities and reputation of organizations that, like CTIC, already has, we think we can uh, reach out and connect with farmers in really significant ways. Great, great overview of the national level. And so where does CTIC fit into this equation? So I joined the organization in November of 2022 and right away was looking for both new programs and uh, I'm, I'm a little bit biased towards favoring uh, partnerships that have a farmer facing component to it because that's of course where change ultimately happens. Uh, you know, one kitchen table conversation uh, at a time, so to speak. and have really built my career uh, helping build teams uh, to provide that increased technical assistance so that farmers do have additional resources to, to lean on. And so uh, put out a call in a number of the states, uh, been mentioned, you know, Farmers for Soil Health operates at 20 states, put out some feelers. And uh, uh, the first opportunity came uh, from uh, a partnership with Minnesota soybean growers that led to the soybean uh, associations in both Wisconsin and South Dakota as well, uh, forming kind of a critical mass. And so we submitted a proposal to hire uh, additional uh, technical capacity in the form of full-time soil health specialists. I'm very grateful to have the talented team members uh, that we have, uh, Julia, Dan, and Katie in South Dakota, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, uh, respectively. And so they wake up every single day uh, helping network with farmers, uh, commodity groups at the state level, uh, other uh, key uh, organizations that are all dedicated towards this common objective of getting information out there in the hands of farmers, helping them with the enrollment process, beginning, you know, step uh, one, all the way through uh, the final steps of, of course, not only getting seed in the ground, but having it be integrated into their cash crop appropriately. And one of the new items that we're just uh, working on in kind of our second year being involved with the program to kind of double down on this learning uh, and ultimately have farmers be positioned for success is what we're calling a cover crop coaching program, whereby thanks to generous funding from General Mills, we're actually hiring uh, nine experienced cover crop farmer users uh, in these three states to uh, augment uh, the work that uh, Katie, Dan, and Julia are doing. Of course, uh, these states are fairly large, and so this will give us additional geographic coverage, as well as that real pragmatic kind of hands-on-hand 
you know, what do I need to be thinking about for my planter setup? Uh, what should I adjust in my fertility or chemistry programs? And so farmers helping teach other farmers is just one other way that we're committed to ultimately having this program be successful. And my my personal kind of challenge to the team uh, and metric of success is what do the farmers do in year four uh, when the program, you know, either continues or perhaps uh, isn't available, are they farmers positioned for success because they've seen the benefits start to accrue, they've seen some of those yield increases, seen the soil change, uh, and ultimately choose to continue it with or without any kind of uh, additional financial incentives. We'll come back to the discussion in a moment, but first I'd like to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for supporting today's podcast. Montag Precision Metering Equipment is helping producers achieve their yield goals while saving on seed and input costs. For establishing cover crops, Montag's family of seed platform equipment adapts to a variety of major brand delivery systems that will conserve seed and nutrients along with soil and water. Explore new options for your production and conservation goals with your Montag dealer. Visit MontagMFG.com or call Montag at 712-517-2775. And now, let's get back to the discussion with Ben West and Ryan Heinrich. You know, you talked a little bit about just like the financial assistant aspect of it. And obviously, that's really important to kind of help offset some of those, the costs of, of implementing new programs like cover crops on your farm. I'm curious if there's, um, if there's a way that this program helps uh, farmers who maybe have already been using cover crops or no-till or other sustainable practices like that for a couple of years. Um, can you speak to that element at all? Farmers who um, have adopted cover crops in the past are eligible to join the program. Um, the financial incentive they get is much is much lower, um, but the, 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 the immediate financial incentive they get is much lower. But if they enroll, uh, you know, they'll get $2 an acre basically to cover their time to enroll. But then the big deal is they are then will be allowed to be a seller on the sustainability marketplace and be connected to end users looking to pay farmers a premium for more sustainably uh, produced commodities. Right now, that, that marketplace, when the marketplace launches this year, it'll only cover cover crops, but we built it with the intent to have the flexibility long-term to incorporate additional practices because we know in the real world, it's not just as simple as planting cover crops. It'll be part of you know more complex and nuanced farming systems that include lots of other practices. Um, that provides sustainability benefits, and we want farmers to be able to benefit from those as well as, you know, the end users wanting commodities grown those ways. The only other thing I might add to that, too, is, uh, and this is kind of fresh on the heels of being at a uh, major winter ag show in, in Minnesota and talking to uh, several dozen uh, producers uh, all across the spectrum from, you know, those who have yet to adopt uh, to those that have uh, done the kind of R&D on the back 40, so to speak, and, and they're ready to scale. And I think that's another real strong suit for Farmers for Soil Health, for those farmers that have, uh, you know, spent a few years, whether it's with local cost share or just, you know, self-funded, 
uh, practices, uh, and now they're they're convinced that uh, this does uh, help their operation both from an environmental standpoint, from a profitability standpoint, and they're ready to scale those acres. And so, farmers for soil health. Uh, because of its efficiency, uh, the ease at which people can enroll, uh, and the speed at which uh, they can enroll uh, offers that chance uh, to go from, you know, that home uh, 40 acres or uh, home quarter section uh, to cover more of their operation. And of course, that's a decision that they and they alone are responsible for. And so we just, again, are excited about the chance to help them. But I think that's uh, one of the other selling points for this program to your question on uh, its role in the larger context of farmers that are uh, doing a variety of practices to improve their sustainability. All right, Ryan, I'm gonna stick with you for a second here. Why don't you tell us a little bit more um, about that cover crop coaches aspect of it and kind of um, how, how does that part work in terms of, of finding, do these farmers kind of apply to, to get that role or do you guys kind of seek out people to be in those roles? How does that part of it work? Great question. So this is brand new for CTIC, but of course is deeply rooted in lots of good social science in terms of how farmers want to uh, learn from one another. Uh, I would point out uh, the work that uh, the state of Wisconsin has done to create these producer-led watershed groups as a great uh, blueprint or a, a roadmap uh, for how successful this approach can be. And so we, uh, once we received the funding, uh, the grant from General Mills put out a uh, call for applications, asking farmers to submit uh, basically a letter of interest. Uh, I think that was open for about six or seven weeks last fall, actually just closed uh, New Year's New Year's Eve day, uh, 2023. And so we're uh, really pleased with the diversity of uh, applications we received. And we spent the first couple weeks of the new year, you know, having conversations with those uh, farmers to just kind of better understand their goals, answer questions that they have. And uh, so we're right now, uh, this third week of January, making selections uh, for those coaches uh, because we did have more interest than what we've got currently uh, to be able to fund and hoping to grow this program, not only in our three states, but I think there's honestly a national opportunity here as well as uh, you know, we have unprecedented levels of financial assistance, but perhaps a shorter supply of folks with that technical knowledge of what works, what doesn't. So ultimately, farmers are more successful. So the workflow really is once a farmer signs up into Farmers for Soil Health, whether it's through direct consulting that we're doing on the, uh, on the ground, whether it's through some of the national promotions that the commodity organizations are doing or whatever the case may be. And then once uh, they're in the program, we're going to have kind of a baton handoff temporarily from our full-time soil health specialists to these cover crop coaches, uh, which will then visit the farm operations uh, of the new farmers that have enrolled and just literally, you know, kick the tires, getting us a, a sense of the equipment set up again, to share that real practical, pragmatic uh, farmer uh, experience uh, of what they need to be thinking about going into their first year, uh, for example, uh, which is just, you know, uh, 100 days or less away of being able to, you know, plant their cash crop corn soybeans uh, in this region. And so what do they need to be thinking about? Uh, so we're positioning them for success and then they'll have, you know, a variety of both uh, in-person touch points as well as kind of just virtual discussions uh, throughout the course of the summer, including the coach actually hosting a field day so other farmers can then come uh, and learn from the coach uh, how they've been successful, uh, 
what are they seeing uh, for for benefits uh, from their use of cover crops uh, for you know whether it's two years or a decade and just another point along those lines uh, one of the other kind of legacy projects that CTIC has been involved with along with SARE along with the University of uh, Missouri and the American Seed Trade Association is a national cover crop survey. And in our most recent one that we published last year, 40% uh, of the farmers using cover crops had 10 years of experience. So they've got a bachelor's, they've got a master's, they've got a PhD in using cover crops. What a great army of leaders and experts to be able to call on to help other farmers uh, with less experience. Fantastic. Yeah. And then, um, Ben, I think I'll go to you for this one. Um, can you speak a little bit more to kind of the timing? I know you mentioned the sustainability marketplace aspect of it, planning to launch that later this year. Um, what does kind of the, the big picture look like timing wise for, you know, if you're if you're a grower and you're listening right now and this sounds really awesome and interesting, when can farmers kind of expect to to dive headfirst into this? Yeah, so we launched our program uh, last fall. Um, so, you know, beginning September last year, farmers could enroll in the program. Um, but but really, our first year was a super, very soft launch. We've had several dozen farmers and several thousand acres enroll. But, you know, our long-term goal is about 1.3 million acres. So we got a long way to get there. But we expect this year to be a really significant enrollment year. Um, enrollment is open right now. If farmers planted cover crops last year or during the current cover crop season um they can still enroll th those cover crops right now or they can enroll for the following cover crop season the 2024-25 cover crop season um, but enrollment is open right now enrollment will be open for at least a couple of years um, so farmers are interested but they're not quite ready to enroll yet um, they can just connect with us engage with our state uh with our technical assistance providers like ctic to start thinking about it. Um, if they want to enroll this year, that'd be great. If they want to think about it a little bit more and get their minds wrapped around it, the enrollment will be open next year as well. All right. And uh, another thing I'd like to talk about, uh, just a couple more questions for you guys here. Um, you know, we, we interview lots of different farmers for the podcast too. And, and one of the things I've heard a lot about some of these past um, incentive programs is that, you know, farmers feel frustrated with um, uh, the ease of use of some of this technology and and going through these portals and, and a, a common complaint I'm always hearing from farmers is just that, you know, time is so precious that they they barely have time to kind of log on and read through all this stuff and, and search out uh, these programs. So can either of you kind of comment on on the um, ease that that farmers might find using these tools and um, and how complex or not complex this might be for them. Um, that, that's a great question. Uh, the reality is there are a lot of cover crop programs out there already, but we have low adoption of cover crops. I mean, only uh, depending on the data you look look at, uh, six to ten percent of row crop farmers use cover crops every year. So a really low adoption rate. We've got to ask why, because there are cover crop programs out there, and there have been, like NRCS's EQIP program. Well, as we were developing Farmers for Soil Health and talking to farmers, we realized that money was an important decision for many of them, but it wasn't the only decision, uh, the, only, the only thing factoring into their decision. As you said, a lot of the programs that exist now are very complicated. So our intent with Farmers for Soil Health uh, was to build a system, a platform, 
that removed all of the barriers of complexity and difficulty in letting farmers enroll and verify that they did, in fact, uh, enroll and establish cover crops. It'll take farmers way less than an hour uh, to enroll in Farmers for Soil Health, depending on how many fields they're enrolling. They could enroll in 10 minutes or less, potentially. Uh, all of the verification is done remotely via satellite. So literally, it can be as easy for a farmer to participate as spending a few minutes enrolling, establishing cover crops, and then getting a check the next spring after we verify through remote sensing, through satellites, that they, that they established a cover crop. Uh, we pay a little less than some of the other programs, but we're compensating for that by making a very, very easy system to manage and navigate. That's, that's very well said. Uh, and the only other thing I would uh, add to that is just to uh, echo it or kind of validate it from my perspective, both again, as a farmer, as well as uh, part of the, the partnership and having been involved with a lot of other programs as well, that you know, kudos to the Farmers for Soil Health leadership team for having that vision of efficiency. Uh, again, just pivoting back to being at the major farm show last week in Mankato, Minnesota, that was definitely something that was very much of interest once we started to unpack uh, some of the details that they could sit down and literally in a matter of minutes, not just apply, but essentially apply and once they self-certify, be accepted in the program, be up and running, and to put an exclamation point on it, uh, as Ben alluded to, uh, if a farmer had planted cover crops uh, in 2023 and did not have other you know, federal funds involved with those particular acres, they're still eligible to uh, enroll for that first year through the end of February uh, 2024, uh, February 28th, I think is the deadline. Uh, what a great example of flexibility and kind of, uh, you know, created by farmers for farmers type of a, a thought process here. I personally have never found a program that you can apply retroactively in this fashion. So, again, hats off to uh, the leaders for uh, having that mindset and then driving it through, uh, you know, the first step all the way through uh, when the paycheck uh, gets sent to sent out. Great. Thanks, guys. So, um Ben, I think this might be another question for you. You, you alluded a little bit to some of the um, the goals numbers wise, but I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about just kind of big picture. Um, what do you guys think the scope of this thing could be uh, a couple of years from now? What, what's kind of the uh, the goals for that? Yeah, really good question. And I think it's important. Uh, we get asked this question a lot. What is Farmers for Soil Health? And it's a little bit of a nuanced answer because it's at least two things. Farmers for Soil Health is a collaboration between the United Soybean Board, the National Corn Growers Association, and the National Port Board to advance uh, regenerative farming practices long term. Uh, that may lead to many different initiatives in the future. The most immediate initiative is that we talked about is this USDA Climate Smart Commodities Grant. Um, that grant is focused on cover crops, and that grant is designed to help fulfill a larger goal of Farmers for Soil Health to uh, drive adoption of cover crops on at least 30 million acres uh, of row crop land row crop land by 2030. Uh, we think we'll get there pretty easily. You know, we're not the only folks doing work in cover crops and other uh, sustainable farming practices, but we think we can be, a you know, one of the major influencers in rapidly increasing the adoption of this particular 
practice right now, cover crops. All right. And then maybe just a, a final question here for both of you. We'll end on kind of a, a nice positive note. What's uh, what's one or two things each of you um, have really gained from this already? I, I guess to reword it, maybe what's uh, what's been the most rewarding part for each of you working on this program? I got to meet Ryan Heinegger. <laughs> I got to meet Ben West. <laughs> now, I, I'll, I'll say this, Ryan, and you can tag in i think it's been a it's been really rewarding and a lot of fun to work on this on on a project uh that has such scale i mean you have three of the largest commodity organizations in the country leading the program but we have partnerships and collaborations all the way down to the county level providing you know boots on the ground support to farmers Um, as much as we collaborate in agriculture and conservation that kind of that kind of thing doesn't happen that often, you know. To have this, you know, all the way from the national level down to the most local level, have you know a dozen organizations involved in helping farmers farm more sustainably and increase their financial bottom line and be prepared for the future. Uh, I mean, if you're interested in conservation and agriculture, it doesn't get much better than that. Great, thanks, guys. Uh, before we end here. Anything I've missed here? Anything else that you guys like to add to the conversation here that you think is important? If, uh, you know, if farmers want to know more, of course, they can reach out uh, to their local, you know, state commodity organizations. But to find out who the point of contact is for your state, you know, our website is a great resource, www.farmersforsoilhealth.com, all one word. And there'll be a list there of all the states involved in this this first initiative and who who you can get in touch with in those states to learn more. Well, that's well said. And for me, uh, the partnerships, I would just emphasize that uh, the relationships that come out of that, the fun that we have uh, uh, both as a team here at CTIC, as well as the larger um, number of uh, organizations that are all dedicated to advancing this uh, both near-term and longer-term vision to see change uh, happen on the landscape. And again, the farmer leaders uh, that have enrolled uh, already, you know, hats off to them for uh, helping champion this and just really looking forward to those uh, continued success stories uh, coming in the months and years ahead. And I guess I would just further emphasize the, you know, again, the the farmer to farmer component, I think we're positioned for success there not only in the three states, but across the region, because we are living in a a wonderful time relative to the financial and technical resources that are available. So for farmer listeners, if you've been thinking about taking some different steps, whether it's recovery crops or the larger suite of conservation practices, there has never been a a better time. So um, reach out uh, to us here at CTIC, Visit your local soil and water district, talk to your uh, state, your national commodity organization as well, and and take those steps, and uh, we're here to help. That's it for this episode of the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. Thanks to Ben West and Ryan Heinegger for that discussion. The full transcript of the episode, as well as our archive of previous podcast episodes, are available at CoverCropStrategies.com slash podcasts. Many thanks to our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing, for helping to make this Cover Crop podcast series possible. And from all of us here at Cover Crop Strategies, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.